This morning, I have a message that we're going to charge our, our seniors with and that we can all learn from as we continue reading um, in the series that we've been in on, um, on a, the, the prophets Elijah, Elijah and Elisha. And today we are going to be camped out in chapter 19. And as we uh, have this special honor to recognize our graduates, many of you in the room um, who've been around our church for many years have had the privilege of getting to watch a lot of these seniors grow and mature in their faith. And uh, many of you have served as small group leaders, spiritual prayer warriors, encouragers, and even just people out in the coffee bar watching these children kind of grow mature and giving them high fives and feeding them the goldfish. Anything and everything that you do along the way to encourage our students is always a blessing. And then we get the, the rewards of days like this on our church calendar where we get to recognize their great accomplishments. Um, so today's message, I believe it can apply to each and every one of us. But seniors, I would love for you to bend an ear and to maybe even take some notes because I believe that as most of you are going to be heading off to college, some of you military and other um, next steps, that somewhere along the way you might find yourself at a point where you are perhaps tired or lonely, or confused, or even frustrated in the pursuit of discovering what it is that your purpose is in this new adventure of life. You may even find yourself at a point where you're consumed by fear and discouragement, and you would likely not even want to push on. Today, we're going to learn from the story of Elijah, and how he faced serious opposition that caused him some very human uh, raw emotions to, to prevail and to present themselves, and then how God redeemed and restored Elijah and to um, continue using him to write his story. As we open up today, I have a question for you. Have you ever been at a point in your life where you were in a state of discouragement and you felt completely overwhelmed with feelings of failure of frustration, of letdown, and even defeat. I know that I have. Um, and for me, uh, it was a day that happened about five or so years ago. My, uh, our son had just been born a couple weeks later, and we had brought him home from the NICU, and we were in the process of moving into a new home. There was a lot of stress in moving um, with that period, but um, we had been living with my in-laws uh, for about five or so months. That, I love my in-laws, but that was stressful in and of itself. Um, and so we were in this process of moving. I had made the mistake. It snowed a couple days before this, by the way. I had made the mistake of backing my trailer down behind their house to load it up with the stuff that we had been moving in. And if you know me at all, you know that I am a very detailed person. I love mapping out my days. I love knowing how things are going to happen and knowing that ahead of time. Well, there was a slew of people, some of you in this very room, who were waiting on me to um, get everything loaded up for us to go close at the bank and, and then to go over and meet at the storage unit um, to, to go and unload that and move into this house. Well, let me just say... My trailer got stuck in the morning in behind this house. I called AAA to see if they could help. They said, is the trailer within inside of the house? And I said, no, it's behind the house, stuck in the snow. They said, we can't do anything for you. It's got to be within view of the house or else we can't back our vehicles down. That made sense. I started calling all the people I knew with four-wheel drive and chains and stuff like that. I'm going through my mental Rolodex of all the people. Like, look, I look out in the parking lot sometimes on Sundays. I'm like, man, that's a cool truck. I'm like, all right, I'm going to use that. Nobody was available to help out. I was stressing out. It was an 
incredible. Some of you are like, man, dude, that's, that's nothing. For me, this was a very stressful day, so much so that I had to ask my dear wife, Casey. I pulled over and I said, you're going to have to drive because like, literally my body was shaking from how much um, I felt like I was just letting everybody else down. If they were waiting on me at the storage unit and all this, it was just crazy, crazy. We all face these setbacks in life. Sometimes our day isn't going to go the way that we had planned. Sometimes we have these feelings that begin to creep into our mind and we begin to play this mental game. We all face, some of us, very serious opposition with mental and physical health struggles for ourselves or for loved ones. This morning, we're going to be looking at how Elijah, too, faced some incredibly serious setbacks. And I believe that when setbacks happen, to us, it could actually be a set up for God to do something far greater than we could ever imagine. We're going to see the way that that happened in Elijah's life. It encourages me when I read in the New Testament, in the, the, in the book of James, chapter 5, verse 17, it says that Elijah was as human as we are. Now, I don't know about you, but I have this tendency sometimes in Scripture, I, I tend to put these um, people, that these, these men and women that God uses to write his story on a pedestal and think, wow, these are these supremely holy beings. There's no way that I could possibly ever strive to be somebody like an Elijah or a King David or, or some of these people that God uses. But then we read this in James chapter 5 and it says, Elijah was just as human as we are. That brings great encouragement to me because I know I'm very human as well. I'm not a very perfect person. As a matter of fact, uh, many people would say, you're far from perfect, Brian. And I would say, you're right, preach. But today, Elijah was much like us, and he, fe- and he felt very real and very raw human emotions. Now, this morning, it's going to be a little bit of a like downer for the beginning because we have to truly unpack what it was that Elijah was feeling. We have to go to where he was, and then we're going to see toward the end of the message how God brought him through that, how he redeems and how re- he restores Elijah. And I believe that we can trace the course of Elijah's despair into four main categories. And what, the first of those, is the first of, of um, Elijah's downfall was um, that Elijah lost his perspective. Elijah lost his perspective. Have you ever lost your perspective before? I believe that it's easy for us to do and it's really quick to happen. When we begin to take our eyes off of the prize, we can lose the perspective on what our purpose is. And Elijah lost sight of the fact that a short-term victory does not mean that the war is over. Now, as we, if you were here with us last Sunday, we learned from Pastor Sonny in chapter 18 that Elijah had just had an incredible victory at Mount Carmel, where there was this showdown between the false god of Baal. Now, David Beatty, he says the proper, probably Hebrew pronunciation, Baal. Um, I, I kind of like him Sonny, where Baal is just kind of the way I've always heard it. So if you're cool with that, I'm going to say Baal. Um, so there was the showdown between Baal and between the true god, Yahweh. And it was a battle of which God is going to show up and show off. And Elijah had an incredible victory where Yahweh indeed showed up and he showed off. And we see this in verses 1 and 2. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them. By this time tomorrow. In other words, Jezebel was irate 
at Elijah. Now for us as believers, we must always remember that the battle never ends on this side of eternity. We know that the war is going to ultimately end with God reigning in victory, but we know that there is always going to be some kind on this side of eternity, some kind of spiritual opposition. So the same way that Elijah had experienced a great victory and then found himself thrust back into immediate opposition, we must also remember that sometimes in lives, our own profound victories yesterday do not necessarily ensure that we are going to ensure success for today. Seniors, as you put a bow on this huge accomplishment in the next coming days, I want you to know that we, we would affirm that school is hard. You may have spent long hours for four years now balancing classwork, homework, projects, sports, clubs, but many of you are about to step into one of the greatest temptation centers that there possibly could be, and that's a college campus. You see, here in Clemens, many of you have grown accustomed to being surrounded by people of the same mind, you know, um, kind of same doctrine, same beliefs, but when you go off to school, when you go off to college, you're going to have friends and maybe even professors who are going to challenge you and make you doubt what it is that you believe. They're going to try to trip you up and say, well, why do you believe that? And they're going to make you doubt. Every single one of us Every single day, if not every single hour, we must rely on God's power to overcome these oppositions that we will face in life. Because without God's strength, Elijah was a weak man. And we must also remember the words of Jesus found in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 5. It says, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Which leads us to the second lesson that we can learn from Elijah found in 1 Kings chapter 19. And that is that Elijah lost his commitment to follow God's word. He lost his commitment to follow God's word. Elijah failed to allow God's word to direct his path. So we know as we started reading in this passage that this Queen Jezebel, she issued this massive threat against Elijah's life. And all of a sudden we see some kind of change in his demeanor. 1 Kings 19.3, it says, Then he was afraid, and he arose, and he ran for his life, and he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. Now, if you were to go back and, and do a little rereading of chapters 17 and 18, you would find that the word of the Lord came to Elijah, and what he would do is he would act upon the word of the Lord. But now there is no word from the Lord, and Elijah seems to depart on his own. The word of the Lord will not appear again until just a few verses in verse 9. But Elijah seems to put God's word behind his back and instead begins to live as his own master. How many of us have fallen victim to that before? He's lost his spiritual bearings and drifted from his routine of depending on God's word to determine his steps. In other words, he's gone AWOL. I know that the days where I begin my morning routine kind of rooted in God's word with a morning devotion are seems to be the days where things just go a little bit better for me. I can see the way that God is at work. I can see the way that God would perhaps want to use me. Um, I can feel the promptings of the spirit to perhaps pray in a situation or to do something. The days where I don't start my day off in God's word are certainly the days that I know that I feel more prone to my human condition where I'm quick to get angry, where I'm quick to not allow God to be at work in my life. When we face the same temptations, the question is, will we order our lives by God's authority or will we do what we want, when we want, and how we want? 
If you're here today and you're not in God's word in your own life in some capacity, the question is not whether you will drift away from God's will, but when and how far it is that you will wander. Now, maybe David Beatty's sermons are good enough, but I certainly know my sermons are not good enough to fill somebody's, what I call the spiritual tank, okay? So you're here on Sunday, good job. You know, we're, we're glad that you're here. It'd be really boring for me to be up here talking to myself. Um, but it's, it's one thing to come to church on a Sunday and to hear a sermon and allow that to fill your spiritual tank up just a little bit. Or maybe you go leave this place and you're floating on cloud nine and you're ready to take on the world. But all of a sudden, what happens? Monday comes, right? Like Monday is, is the enemy. And all of a sudden, you're thrust into that boss that you don't get along with. Or you have a coworker that's bringing you down. And all of a sudden, you're, you're just faced with all this opposition. That's why it's important on a daily basis to be in a student of God's word. And not just allow a sermon on a Sunday to fill your spiritual tank, but actually to be rooted in God's word every day of your life. The third thing that we can learn is that Elijah lost his vision of the greatness of God. We find in verse 3 that Elijah, he became afraid. How could this mighty Elijah all of a sudden be afraid? He was gripped by fear because he took his eyes off of the greatness of God. It's no surprise that after losing perspective and vision that Elijah fled and he ran. But notice where it is that he flees. We'll pick up in verse 3. It says, he rose and he ran for his life. And he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. But he himself went another day's journey into the wilderness, and he came and he sat down under a broom tree. He goes all the way to a place called Beersheba. Now, if you've ever read through the Old Testament, you will see this phrase from Dan to Beersheba used a total of nine times. And this actually is to represent the distance between from Dan, which is in the northern part of the promised land, kind of up there in the purple square, all the way down to Beersheba down in the bottom corner. Elijah, he heads to the deep south, which was escaping as far away from his enemy, Queen Jezebel, as he could possibly get. He didn't just want to flee. He wanted to get as far away from his enemy as he possibly could. And he went another day's journey into the wilderness. When faced with the question of fight or flight previously, Elijah had responded to conflict with fight. He was willing to tough it out. However, this time he decided to run and to run as far away from his enemy as he could get. Elijah, he lost his vision for the greatness of God. And sadly, when we lose our vision for the greatness of God, it can take us down some really dark paths, like we see what happened in the fourth cause of, of Elijah's downfall, which was that Elijah lost his, desi his desire to live. He lost his desire to live. And it can happen so quick. The enemy will put these whispers in our heads that if we listen to them long enough, they will begin to turn into voices. And all of a sudden, those voices will become shouting. And I want to be sensitive to anyone in this room who may have lost a loved one or a dear friend who has entertained the enemy's whisperings of things like you're not worthy or you'll never amount to anything or you're not good enough or you're a failure. But if anybody is here today and perhaps you're that person, and you've been listening to those whispers, and maybe they've even become shouts in your own life, I want you to hear this, that you can never escape the love and grace that God has for you that is shown to us in Christ Jesus. 
His whole purpose in coming was to redeem and to restore. That was what Jesus' purpose was. And so because we face these oppositions in life, which maybe even cause us to go down these deep, dark paths, God is a God of redemption and restoration, and he wants to pull you through that. And he wants to teach you something in that season so that perhaps you can even be a blessing to someone else. That's why it's important to not only know who you are, but to know whose you are. It's important to know your identity in Christ. But because of the sin and this fall of humanity, Elijah, he also lost his desire to continue living. And we see this when we read verse 4. And he asked that he might die, saying, Is it enough now, O Lord? Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. What could cause someone, again, like Elijah, to want to have his own life taken from him? After all, Elijah had just experienced firsthand the power and the might of God at Mount Carmel, and now all of a sudden he's seeing this opposition and he's wanting for his life to just end. I believe that there are a few causes that can attribute to Elijah's decline, and the first of those was that he was drained. Elijah was drained. Have you ever been drained before? I know that I have, and as a matter of fact, I believe that believe our culture sometimes can drain our energy. It bleeds our energy by the demands to perform, to achieve, to be involved in so many things. And we all have the same exact amount of time. Each and every one of us, we were given 24 hours a day and seven days a week. That's something that we all have in common. But how we use that time drastically differs from person to person. And because we have been kind of trained and ingrained to just go, 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 one of the things that often gets whacked off the schedule is our time for a Sabbath time for a day of rest, the time that God has told us to set aside to recharge our batteries because God knows that we need this. It's a day to bask in God's goodness and to worship our creator. Elijah, in all of his strengths and devotion to God, he found himself giving so much that he had nothing left to give, and he was drained. First, he was drained physically. Elijah had been a man on the run for three years, living by God's miraculous provision of bread. Now, between running 17 miles ahead of Ahab to Jezreel, and then from Mount Carmel to Beersheba, which was roughly about 120 miles on that stretch of the promised land, and then another day into the wilderness, and later he would travel up to Mount Horeb, Elijah had been on the run for about 300 miles. Now, I know for people like Andrew Wilde and David Holcomb, who are like avid runners, they could probably run 300 miles in like an hour. Um, but I don't know about you, that, that would like absolutely be daunting to me. I would never want to ever have to travel on foot like that many miles. Elijah was drained physically. And when we are physically tired, we can tend to find ourselves spiritually vulnerable as well. Now, not only this, but I believe that Elijah was also emotionally drained after his victory just a few days before at Mount Carmel. He was spiritually drained, and he was the object of intense spiritual opposition. And evil can take a really big toll on us. Spiritual warfare is a very real thing. And for us as believers, when we're feeling attacked, that can be ultimately draining. And lastly, he was ministerially drained. He must have felt like he had nothing left to give. He felt like a worn-out, washed-up servant. So we see that Elijah was drained, and perhaps that's why he didn't wish to live. But I also believe that perhaps it was because Elijah was disappointed. He was disappointed. Now, we don't necessarily read this explicitly in Scripture, but I think it's safe to assume that after this result of the great victory that he had on Mount Carmel, 
that um, what, what would have taken place was he probably was hoping that revival would take place. And that because of the word of the, God, of the Lord that had come to him, and because of his proclamation of God's truth, that King Ahab even would turn from his ways and that he would become a believer in the one true God. His hopes had to have been sky high, but when they were dashed, when he heard Jezebel's threat, he had to have been devastated. This dejection must have crushed Elijah in every way and led him to being supremely disappointed. We all get this way when our expectations aren't met. Maybe we, we have in our mind the way something's going to go, and all of a sudden our plans come completely unraveled, or somebody doesn't follow through with something, and it just causes us this complete despair. The third thing that I believe about Elijah's wanting to desire to not live was that he was living in isolation. If you were to follow Elijah in chapter 17 and 18, you would see that he was a man who was virtually alone. Elijah, even though he was a prophet, was still just a person like us. That meant that he needed fellowship. He needed fellowship with God and he needed fellowship with other people. The same way that you and I are meant to have fellowship. God wired us that way to be people. It doesn't matter uh, people who want to be with people. It doesn't matter if you're an introvert or extrovert or whatever it is that you are. God wired us to have this some kind of fellowship with others. In chapter 19, verse 3, we just read that Elijah left his servant behind and he departs by himself, not for prayer, not for some kind of spiritual retreat. He wasn't going an extra day into the wilderness and taking his Bible with him or anything like that. No, he was going to get away because he was afraid and said he wanted to throw this pity party, which he is the only host and also the only guest. Elijah was isolated. And the last thing was that Elijah believed half-truths. Elijah, he mentioned in verse 4 that he isn't any better than his fathers. What a lie that must have been, because Elijah was this great prophet, and all of a sudden he's listening and saying these things out loud that he's not as good as his fathers were. Did he previously think that he was the greatest prophet of all time? Sure, he had done some great things for the Lord, but what was he currently doing? He was wallowing in his self-misery, and he was on the run and not seeking after God. Do you ever wonder if God gets frustrated with us? You know, like God is ultimately God. He's, he's, he's not human like me, but I, I just imagine like I mess up and do something and God's just up there like this, you know, like there goes Brian again. Come on, dude, like get it together. Of course, you know, God is God and because of that, he's holy and he's mighty and he's just in every action that he's ever taken. But think about the way that he ministered to his depressed servant, Elijah. He didn't respond with, Elijah, how dare you do that? Elijah, how dare you doubt my goodness? Elijah, how dare you take your eyes off of me? No, he responds to Elijah. He ministered to him with patience and grace and tender compassion. And he gave Elijah bread in the wilderness. Check this out. God's first response was not uh, to rebuke Elijah. Instead, he said it was to eat. What a beautiful invitation. I love food. In, in chapter in 19, verse 5 and 8, it says, And he lay down and he slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and he said to him, Arise and eat. I circled that in my Bible. I like that part. And he looked up and behold, there was at his head a cake. Who doesn't want to wake up from like a deep sleep and have cake at their head? baked on the stones and a jar of water and he ate and he drank and he lay down again and the angel of the Lord came again a second time and he touched him and said arise and eat 
for the journey is too great for you. And he rose and he ate and he drank and went with that strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. How encouraging is it that God feeds his runaway prophet instead of actually answering his prayers? You know, think about this. Like, what if God had just said, okay, Elijah, you want to die? You know, you're, you're gone, okay? You're, you're, you're with me now. But no, he doesn't respond that way because he wasn't through with Elijah yet. He wasn't going to answer that prayer. And sometimes God's responses to our prayers are yes, no, and not yet. Because God knows what we truly need better than we do. You see, a few um, weeks ago, it was um, a couple days before um, Easter Sunday, we had gone down to scout out uh, s- some things for our high school mission trip um, with my family. We went down to Wilmington and uh, packed a, a quite a few things. And one thing that I brought home with me that I hadn't packed was uh, a foodborne illness. And it was not fun, let me tell you. I brought this foodborne illness home and I had to miss Easter Sunday. I had to miss all of our family activities afterward. I I hated to miss being here with some of my favorite people and worshiping God on one of the best Sundays out of the entire year because I'm sitting here and over the course of five days, I lost 14 pounds. I was incredibly sick. Um, and I thought I knew sick up to this point. Now, I wasn't, you know, ladies in the room that are married, you, you probably get this, like, us, us dudes, we don't do the sick card very well. We, we, we tend to, like, play it up really bad, and you're just like, come on, you got a cold. Get over it. Um, but, like, I was really, really sick, and I was on the verge of, like, calling my mom and dad and being like, Mom, Dad, I love you. Casey, here's all the account numbers for, for our bank. You know, here's the login information for all the stuff you need to know about. I'm, I'm ready to be with the Lord. I'm like sitting here praying this like same prayer that Elijah is. I'm so, so sick. And I'm just like, Lord, if, if this is your will, if this is the way I'm to go, it's not what I was hoping for, but if you're ready, let's go. Let's do this. No, God wasn't. Instead of death, God gave Elijah cake. Wow. I wish after my sickness, I could have had like a big old slab of like, cheesecake from from the cheesecake factory in Greensboro like give me some of that caramel cheesecake or something like that you know but no I I woke up from from my deep slumber of sickness and my wife my saint of a wife had brought me chicken noodle soup instead from Panera because that's what I needed not necessarily what I wanted right like that's the way that God responds to us sometimes God knows what we need not necessarily what we want and God's plan is far superior to ours So my question is this, are you drained like Elijah? Have you hit rock bottom? And if so, consider these words from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29. It says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you, say it with me, church, rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Rest. After getting some manna and cake and resting, Elijah arose and he went to Horeb. And in verse 9 we read there, he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets of the sword. And I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it from me. Here we find that the the word of the Lord finally returns to Elijah. And what does he do? 
you would think that he would finally respond with joy, like, oh, Lord, thank you, you are still there, you're, you're great, you're providing some clarity and direction. No, he has this, like, pity party for himself, and he's like, all these people are after me, he's still depressed, so God will now remind Elijah of his power yet once again. Now God's presence and God's voice will awaken and sustain the great prophet Elijah. And he said, go out and, he stand, and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great strong wind tore the mountains and had broken in pieces and rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind and an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave. You see, previously, this is important because previously God had responded in these loud and boisterous, boisterous ways. He showed up and he showed off in the Mount Carmel showdown between Baal and God, right? And now that was a loud and boisterous way. And now all of a sudden God is revealing himself to Elijah with a still, small voice. Maybe you're here today and you too are asking God to show up in your life. And maybe you've prayed big prayers and asked God to just reveal himself to you in an overwhelming way. My question to you is this. Have you made space in your life to seek God's still, small voice? Are you listening? Because I know sometimes I'm quick to give God my laundry list. I'm, I'm quick to say, God, you're holy and worthy and mighty of all praise. Um, and, 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 you know, give these words of, of adoration. And then I'm quick to say the confession part. And then I'm quick to even say, God, can you bless these other people? Um, these prayers of supplication, but I don't ever make space to listen to God. I say amen, I hang up the phone, and I don't, I don't ever listen for the response. Are we making space to listen for God's still small voice? This passage is really tough to chew on because it shows a very real and a difficult human condition, and that is depression. And even though this was a spiritual depression that Elijah was facing, it was still really hard to shake. And depression is something that honestly is not really preached on a whole lot. It isn't a 24-hour illness that you can easily pop back from, and getting over it takes more than just a pastor saying, here, take these two Bible verses and come back and see me in the morning. Elijah, Elijah faced this depression. He knew that it was a very real and raw thing, and Elijah wasn't moving on from his depression quickly. He kept his pity party going for a while, but God steps in and to restore this prophet, and after bread from an angel and the quiet voice of God from the mountain, Elijah is still rehearsing his speech when God speaks in verses 13 and 14. Behold, there came a voice to him, and it said, what are you doing here, Elijah? It's almost like God is saying, Elijah, come on, man, let's try this again. Uh, you know, you're sitting here doing the pity party thing. Let's wake up a little bit. Notice what's going on around you. But look what he says in verses 14, and he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, throw down your altars, and kill your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. No, I didn't just read the same verses before. This is Elijah once again rehearsing the same rehearsed speech to God that he had been going over his mind. Have you ever been there before where you know that you should maybe you maybe could or should snap out of a mental state, but you choose to stay there just because it's easier. Like married people you, you, in the room, you probably get this right. Like don't, don't be nudging each other right now in the middle of the service, but when you're angry at each other, sometimes it's just e easier to stay angry than it is to actually do the hard work of talking and working things out, right? 
You know, like we, we tend to do this. We, we tend to just stay in these mental states rather than wanting to do the hard work. But God calls us to something greater. Years ago, a lawyer named John Calvin was trying to figure out the meaning of life, and he began a treatise on Christianity and religions with this line, and it said, without knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. Without knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. And it's fascinating that the father of Reformed theology, what we now call Calvinism, who was known well for his theology, he began with self-knowledge. There's this element to us that it's really good for us to know who we are. Calvin believed that those who did not know themselves would never fully know God. And sometimes in order to change, we have to know ourselves. And Elijah knew that he was in the midst of depression. He knew that he was facing despair. Elijah is at least, though, talking to God. So if you're here today, and maybe this is your story, my prayer, my prayer for you is that you would be praying to God, that you would be talking with him and keeping that conversation going. Because look what happens. God, all of a sudden, he shows up and he gives Elijah a new mission. He redeems and he restores them. And this is teeing up what we're going to focus on a little bit more in greater detail next week. In verse 15, it says, And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be the king over Syria. This was his new assignment. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, Meholah, you shall anoint to be the prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elijah put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel and all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. And so he departed from there and he found Elisha the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the 12th, and Elijah passed by him, and he put his cloak on him. Seniors, as you begin in the next couple days to sit through the commencement ceremony, and you hear the speeches, I want you to reflect back on your last four years of life. Many of you probably had a few sleepless nights. Many of you probably had a teacher that perhaps you didn't jive with, maybe some that you did. Many of you probably experienced some sort of terrible valley, but look where you are now. Just because you go through a difficult season in life, it does not mean that that's the way that life is. It just means that it's a season and that God will pull you through it. Our God is a God of the redeemed. We serve a holy and a mighty and a worthy God. So as we conclude today, I have questions for us all by the way of application. The first of those is, have you ever experienced a moment or even a season in your life where you have been consumed with fear and discouragement? Has, there ever, has God ever shown you compassion in those dark moments? And lastly, was God trying to redeem you or restore you to something greater then? And is he trying to redeem and restore you to something greater now? Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for this message that we can learn from Elijah and the very real and raw human emotions that he faced. And Lord, for anyone here today that is facing such opposition or spiritual warfare, Lord, I pray that you would anoint them and that you would lift them up in every way, that you would reach deep into their heart and do a deep work of redemptive um, process by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would bring us all through and that we would hold on to the hope that we have in Christ Jesus, that just because we face a battle now that the war is ultimately won and we look forward to the coming of your son, Jesus Christ, 
for his coming again and for the day that one day we will all be seated around his throne singing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Lord, we pray, God, that you would be with these seniors. We thank you for them and for the gift that they are to us. And we pray that you would bless them in every way. And we give you thanks in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.